Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Movie Land Video, where your three favorite clerks discuss the movies that they've watched this week and what the staff recommends you check out. I'm your host, a couple going through a midlife crisis. I'm an angel flying above heaven. Hi, I'm Mike Pataki. And welcome to episode 24 of the podcast, everybody. So, surprise, we got not one, but two guest stars here at the store today. These two individuals are a part of an upcoming short film entitled, I don't know, At Last. I don't know when exactly it'll be coming out for everyone to see, but we'll get more info on that as we go by. Uh, so please welcome to the store two incredibly talented human beings, the writer and director of the short film, Lorena Gordon, and the star of the film, Katie Burton. Hey. 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 <laughs> Thanks for having us. This is yeah. great. Absolutely. So exciting. Thanks. Yeah, we're absolutely glad to have you here. And uh, I mean, we all saw the film and for people in advance, yeah, we just want to let you all know that we have seen the film in advance. So when the film comes out and you want to come back and you know more about the film, you get to listen to these fun little tidbits and stuff like that. So that's the positive there. Uh, but how uh, how are you guys doing? How's it been for you guys since, uh, you know, this whole quarantine nonsense and with all the press for the film, I should say. You know, we shot this film last January, around this time, so it's been exactly a year. You know, it took us a while in post-production and, you know, we wanted to submit it to some of the kind of festivals in 2020 and then the pandemic hit and I was like, you know what, there is really no rush. Let's really take our time through post and, you know, uh, sound and color and the music and I think it was a blessing in disguise, honestly, because, uh, you know, we we found an editor who just, you know, managed to craft this film that, you know, you all saw and, and we're so happy of the film and, and to finally get the story out there. And we were lucky enough to uh, make it to Holly Shorts and that's where it premiered. So that it's an incredible honor to even start our film festival journey there. So, you know, it was a, honestly a blessing in disguise to, to have this, this time to really craft the, the, the film and make it what it is today. So uh, that's been my experience. And now we're just excited to, you know, as the festivals come along now for 2021, to get the word out there. And once we can get that over with, we can actually, you know, have the film be on a platform where everyone can have access to it. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like you said, we shot this last year on this time. So 2020 started off with a bang and then obviously we got hit with the pandemic and then everything shut down, but it was, it was great. Cause it was kind of like the silver lining of the year. Cause we had something to look forward to. And it was cool. Yeah, I got to be in Holly Shores and also the Fish Latino Film Festival, which we were so stoked to be a part of. So it definitely made 2020 suck less. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, let's not also let's let's also add to the fact that um, everyone she won an award for best performance in in the film i should say i mean how how did you feel being able to win that knowing i mean like that that must be an amazing feeling to know that you know especially for lorraine it was such a personal project to her how it feels like you almost kind of lived up to the expectations if not more not to put a lot of pressure on you going forward but um <laughs> i mean like just how did it feel being able to you know be a part of that moment and you know winning an award for the for the film 
Oh man, it was incredible. It was my first um, nomination for anything for, for acting. So to win it um, was pretty incredible. And I was so in shock. Everyone who was also nominated, they were phenomenal. So it was great to be recognized um, for that. But yeah, it, it was great, especially for this project that we have so much love for. Um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. There's a lot of thoughts that I have in my head of what to ask uh, you both. And I mean, a while back, uh, me and Lorena did sort of like a Instagram live kind of thing where we really went in depth with the movie. So I don't want to overtread the same questions that I can't even imagine you'll continue to get as you keep doing more press for the movie. So I think I want to try and keep it very, you know, chill, laid back, relaxed you know, not, not putting a lot of pressure on it. So I think one of the first things I have to ask, and, you know, just to address the elephant in the room, uh, or should I say one of the most amazing things ever, uh, and I'm going to bring it up, Dean Cundy, man. Like, I'm just going to keep bringing it up as always, because he is, uh, he is, Incredible. A, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's a huge part of, I mean, Movie Land, especially because we've talked about his movies so often. I mean, I don't know, like The Thing or, or, you know, uh, Halloween or, you know, just some of the, uh, just some of the indie movies out there for people that don't know. About them, but um, yeah. I want to ask, and if you can go a little in depth with it, how you got in contact with him and how he felt about being a part of the process. Like, how did that start? Sure. So, just to kind of piggyback on what Katie said, we were just so ecstatic to even be recognized with a nomination. And I didn't know that, Katie, that that was your first time ever being nominated for anything. It was. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. You know, the whole cast, they were just from the get go, just so committed to these roles and being a part of this film. And I think that's all you can ask for as a director. I spent time with these actors, whether alone or as a group. I'm so incredibly grateful that they just had their hearts in it. And with Katie, especially, she knew how uh, special this role was and how close it is to my heart and, and why I wrote it. And, you know, I can't thank her enough for really just bringing this character to life. And she did it with such an authenticity and with so much love and heart. And I think people can see that. And that's why she is getting recognized. So I just want to, you know, put that out there that, you know, it's been an incredible experience to get to to work with Katie and see her shine and see her behind the monitor when we were filming and and, and it was like magic. Aw, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and when you write something so personal, because uh, reading, I'm sure if I read the script, I would think, oh, Lorena Gordon, this is her playing the character of Katie. How does one escape that image and actually cast someone else? Like, is there a certain look that you wanted? Is there one specifically? Like, uh, I, we know like Latina for sure. Does she kind of have to represent you in a sense? Because this Damn. is personal written that's to a, you. That's a great question. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> honestly, I was just looking for, I knew that this actor was going to carry the whole film. Like this film relied on their performance and really having us care for this character. So Katie and I had worked on another project before this. Um, it wasn't until I saw her at a festival we were at, it kind of hit me. I was like, holy shit, I think that's her. I mean, I was on this search. I was mm -hmm. about to get a casting director. I was willing to look for actors in, in, in New York City, in Chicago, or, you know, LA. 
just anywhere. And I think it was our first initial conversation that we had over the phone. I could just kind of sense this with all the projects I've made. I feel like there's this gut instinct that you get when you meet people, even maybe not on a professional level, but when you meet people, you can kind of, I'm all about vibe. So there was just a vibe I got off, you know, off of Katie. And I was like, this is, this is Lauren. Like, I think and then she sent me a, a tape and that was just solidified the whole Absolutely. thing. I was like, this is absolutely her. So I, I, you know, I didn't like pigeonhole a specific image. Like she has to be five, whatever. Or she has to look a be certain way. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I kept my mind open, you know, for all possibilities. And then, you know, she just happened to be someone that was already kind of in my circle of, of resources. And, and yeah, that's how that happened. It's all about the vibes baby yeah. <laughs> all about the vibes <laughs> but yes dean so dean you know he is just such a legend and i honestly it was a cold hard email and i was like i got to email him and and tell him you know that i knew that he was working on independent projects some short projects i looked on imdb and i was like oh my god it's like he, he does it. So it's just a matter of, I guess, how he chooses his projects that he decides to work on. And I sent him this huge email explaining who I am, what the project is about. I sent the script attached and he got back to me. And I think there was some elements of the story that resonated with him. We met for coffee. I was super nervous but he just put me at ease once I was there. He is such a character. And I think Katie can attest to this. He's just, he has the best sense of humor I've ever come across. And, and he, an awesome hat collection. I'm a, Yes, <laughs> I have yeah. to say. <laughs> um, but he's just super generous. And, you know, once he was on board, that was, you know, I was just over the moon. And it was a collaboration, you know, you're thinking like, how is it working with someone of that magnitude, you know, and never for a second did he make me feel small in any way, or he always was open to any suggestions. I mean, we had storyboarded the whole film, basically, and we went over each storyboard. And once he knew kind of what I was looking for, stylistic wise, you know, shot wise, I knew that he had it on his end. So I didn't have to worry about the visuals or anything, you know, once we were on set, I can kind of focus on the directing aspect and anything else so that was definitely one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had with a cinematographer so he pretty much said let's try to make her vision come to life he didn't enter the ballpark and said okay let me just take over do what I know how to do he kind of just worked hand in hand with you like you guys went over the storyboard that's like that's honestly how people should work. People stick to their jobs, stick to their guns. How collaborative he is, especially with someone like up and coming as you. That's, uh, that's amazing to hear, especially someone that's been everywhere and has worked with everyone. And, you know, I want to I want to quickly add to that and just say, I think it's wonderful that you're saying, and, you know, thank God no bubble has burst when you said that. Thank God for that. But what I really like hearing about that is that, you know, it's already really hard to make a movie, whether it be a short film or a feature film. It's like there's so much relying on you to make a good movie because it's even not only is it hard to make a movie, it's even harder to make a good movie unless you're very, you know, you're set on exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. So I think it's just really amazing to hear that it was just fully collaborative, including someone who has done countless movies throughout our lifetime, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And that was definitely something that I was like, oh my God, he's worked with Steven Spielberg, Nancy Myers, like all these directors. Just to name that, a few people. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I, I just tried no to, go, yeah, no big deal. So I was like, I really tried to just stay as grounded as possible and not compare myself to directors that he's collaborated with. And, yeah. and honestly, he just creates also this safe environment where we were always pitching ideas back and forth, even as we were filming, you know, things change and things come up. And I just knew I was in good hands. And he he also served just the ultimate film school too, of maybe this might not work in the editing room, you'll probably won't be able to edit it with with the things that's about to come after. So it was, again, like, he's so kind and also teaching you. And it's not like in this, well, this is how you do it. But, you know, just kind of explaining in such a just loving way. So I think that was also what I gained out of that whole experience too. this person also just being a teacher as well. Yeah. You know, we've talked to a lot of people on this podcast, but never have I been hearing somebody where I'm just consistently grinning and smiling the whole time because there's no like, there's no like crazy over the top expectation of somebody. It's just another human being wanting to do something that they've loved doing ever since they've been a part of the business. So it's really cool to just be like, oh, see, that's a cool, that's a cool son of a bitch right there. We're glad that, you know, he's still kicking and is a great human being. I'm going to ask Katie a question. I'm going to come back to you, Lorena, because I, I'm very curious uh, about the thing I'll ask in a bit, just to keep suspense. Um, but <laughs> for you, Katie, like I, you know, for, I won't spoil the short film, obviously it is a short film, but I'm not going to spoil it obviously. Cause I'm not a dick, but when it <laughs> comes to the ending of the film, there's a very serious, powerful scene that is through a phone and mm -hmm. I, I just have to tell you, you you made me shed some tears that I didn't. <laughs> I was willing to power through tears as I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask in the process of that, because I know that, you know, like I said, you know, making a film is hard and everything, but you like you have to really I don't know what your process is when you're eventually getting to a scene like that, but how did it feel going through such a, a powerful climactic scene like that was? scary at first um just because well i mean this whole project um this is my very first film as a lead so to have that responsibility was terrifying itself but um that scene i just i i had to get it right and i didn't want it to come off to you know just an actor being an actor and so i did so much research on it i talked to people who went through that same you know situation but like in that moment yeah, I just, I don't know. I just had to allow myself to be vulnerable. And that's what's so great about acting. You know, you kind of have to go places that you're afraid to go to. But for me, yeah, it was, it was, it was such a beautiful, beautiful moment. And um, thank you for the compliment. Because that was, that scene, I was like, I just have to get this right. <laughs> I was just going to, just because it, it connects to what you just said about the short. But I have to say, like, I shed tears too during mm -hmm. that scene. And what I thought was so impressive, and I'm still trying to figure out, Lorena, how you did it, is that this did not feel like a short film. Short films don't typically resonate with me because I don't feel like I've had, look, I'll say it like this. I feel like when I reach the end of, and for those listening who haven't seen it, we're talking about just a little over 13 minutes here. Like you told mm -hmm. the story in about 13 minutes and I feel like I watched an entire like John Hughes movie by the time the credits. It was like a goddamn I, journey. <laughs> well, much. and one of the things that I yeah it was, and I and one of the things that I detest in movies is when you see the exposition. I think the best example of that would be when someone says English, please, and they tell you, oh well. Obviously, the time continuum has been disrupted, creating this new 
Temporal event sequence resulting in this alternate reality. English, Doc. You didn't do that in this, but in 13 minutes, I feel like I knew every character in this movie. I wanted to see more of every character, but I feel like I knew every character. There was so much depth, and I think that's a testament to both the writing of it that you said you storyboarded it which i think makes sense because there's not a wasted frame here look from the moment you walk on screen katie it's striking it's the same thing as i mentioned john hughes because it's the same thing as seeing like molly ringwald and 16 candles it's like you get sucked in and the performance is so great that to be crying 13 minutes later 12 <laughs> minutes later whatever it is like we just met these characters and all and yeah. but it's literally right off the bat you're invested and intrigued and caught up in the performance and i think that's like man talk about lightning in a bottle i mean you mentioned dean cundy but i mean it's it's everything it's the editing the music the writing the performances like everything really is i don't know if you saw my response blurring it but to use the word flawless i think this to me was a flawless short so bravo for both for both of wow, you and everyone thank you involved. thank you oh wow yeah. that's huge we appreciate that <laughs> only only jason could say it like that way and then it comes off, <laughs> and it comes off as like ebert levels of, of just like of just review um yeah. that that's classic jason right there man um thank you jason <laughs> that's incredible i yeah. don't even know if that was a question but <laughs> i just had to say Jason, was... just take it. Just take it and roll with it and everything will be fine. <laughs> and you know what? That is a fantastic segue because um, I saw, you, did you write a feature script of, of this of this short? Did you Ooh, expand the yes. story a little bit? Oh. Yes. The suspense. <laughs> suspense. <laughs> Full circle. Came back. Full circle. Came back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I'm very curious about is that I know, I mean, like, I can't even imagine how proud you are of everyone and just the fact that you even made this short a possibility. And for all the amazing backers on Indiegogo, y'all made it what it is as well. Uh, I want to give a shout out to all the homies over there. Um, but I'm just so curious, like, how did you, like, what? Uh, uh, words being twisted because it's so it's kind of like it's just crazy to think about it but it's like um how have you been able to expand the story and i can already tell i mean like i guarantee a lot of the story is very personal to you as the short was but uh how long was it until after the short did you start writing the feature version of the script sure but but yes jason wow he is mm -hmm. like the, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're like the but then on the blu-ray cover cinema. yeah exactly and, <laughs> or jason yeah. on the blu-ray if you ever get to the, the oscars if you ever get to the oscars you're gonna put that quote right as they introduce it <laughs> jason anders said and they're like oh my god brad pitt's up there look at look he's saying it i have like the hugest smile on my face same I mean, all three of you guys you know katie these are my co-workers i think i kind of told you but i, <laughs> yeah. I work with them and you know, we would talk about film here and there and, you know, they were always super supportive, you know, of my endeavors and especially when we were making At Last and always in my corner. So it's amazing to be here with you guys and seeing you guys, Beautiful. you know, do your podcast and to get the chance to share the film with you. And it's it's truly just amazing. And thank you for the beautiful words that you guys are, are, are saying, because this has been not, not easy to do, but it's been with just, you know, that tenacity that I think 
we all have. And with that end goal of we have to make this because it's, it's a story worth sharing and people need to see this. And it's just been incredible to finally get to this point and, you know, to have you guys, you know, just say those kind words. It means a lot. So, so thank you because it, it was all done for the love of, of this story and, and getting it done to be quite honest. And um, so thank you. Honestly too, like good on you for taking the initiative to do it because I grew up in Tennessee. And when you say in Tennessee, I want to move to Los Angeles and make movies. People look at you like, are you fucking stupid? Like, that's not a real thing you can go do. But when I moved here, I found that, like, even working at univer- working at a movie studio theme park in Los Angeles, there's so many people that have that same attitude of, like, you can't do that. You were working mm-hmm. at a movie studio. And people think of it as, like, this unachievable thing. But taking the initiative to raise the money and, and put it all together and pull it off in such a big, bad way, I think that is, like, round of applause for you for for doing that because that could not have been easy no no not not at all that's why I'm saying like being surrounded by this amazing cast and knowing that I had to you know I had given them we're going to make this film this is the day and even you know prior to filming all these things that would unfold and like you said Tyler making a movie is never easy and even when it's a short film like you wouldn't believe the shit that goes down you know trying to make this happen you know losing locations crew dropping out something else coming up like it's just madness honestly so looking back especially since it's been a year and I look at these photos I was like I have no idea how I managed to keep sane for, you know, the pre-production and and scouting and locking crew members and finding replacements and all of that, because it's it's so fucking hard. If I didn't love what I do and and knew that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I would have fucking given up way before even starting to embark on this project because it's so hard. It's so draining mentally and emotionally, but I can't see living any other way if that makes sense like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and yeah that's why I tell people like you really like this is what you have what you eat breathe sleep you you can't picture your life any other way so man girl you took that out of my mouth (laughs) (laughs) I mean you go angel take it but it's like the ultimate payoff because these 13 minutes, so much time and hours and blood, sweat, and tears go into these 13 minutes and these 13 minutes can help someone. Absolutely. Not a lot of people know this feeling. So if they see it happening on screen, this is more than 13 minutes. This is many lives being affected, many people finally accepting themselves. This is just a huge Bible for people that don't have an answer for something. How great this 13 minutes is, it's actually this is going to be a lifetime worth of a lesson for so many people. So it's way beyond the runtime. We talked about that a few episodes ago too, that it's almost like entertainment's the one thing that can save the way people think. We were talking about Will and Grace and, and like all these shows and stuff that like took baby steps to getting people to being more open. Even my own family, like falling in love with characters that changed the way they they looked at sexuality and like and it's like they don't even know. It's like amazing how much influence entertainment has on the general population's acceptance of someone. I feel like mm-hmm. we've made a lot of progress, but at the same time, it's 2021 and it's still the same story where it's like scary 
to come out. Like it should not still be scary for someone to go through it, but it's but it's to be who they want to be. As far as we've come as people, in the grand scheme, we haven't really come far at all. So DC, I, I feel like something like this is really important on top of being entertaining. It's hugely important. When you sat down to write this or when you had the idea, was it always clear to you this is going to be a short film? This is going to, I mean, did it turn out the way that you initially thought it would? Or was it, did it morph through different, was it, was it going to be mm-hmm. something else? Uh, so I had this idea I had come out in my early 20s. I, you know, I moved out here from New York City. I came out and it was like I was just like a rebirth for me again, you know, and I felt like that was so liberating. And I was like, you know what? This is an experience that I feel like many would be able to resonate with. And I, I want to see a story like mine being told on screen, which there hasn't been, you know, it's either mm-hmm. been male's perspective of like coming out, for example, of Simon and all these other, you know, uh, films, but not mine. So I was like, I know I want to have a coming out comes from a Hispanic family and what that's like and all these expectations that kind of are bestowed upon you and and just that experience. So I had written what seemed like a, a now that we're here, kind of just like a blueprint of, of what I wanted to say as an artist with this story. And fast forward May, so we shot in January and then... I want to say in like May, I had the first draft of At Last, the short. So I looked back at that first original blueprint of the quote unquote, we'll just call it feature. And I was like, how can I take the heart and soul of what I'm trying to say and set it with a backdrop of one night in high school? That one takes place like you know, of a young female in her early 20s. And I was like, you know, I, I feel like high school is so monumental for many, many reasons. And everyone, you know, has these experiences in high school. And, you know, you think like, it's the end of the world. Like, if you're not popular, or this person doesn't like you, like, that's it. Everything is so magnified. It's crazy. I remember how I was in high school. And I remembered how also how closeted I was in high school. So I felt like there was something that I can work with there. And then I you know, was thinking back of what was that night in high school or an event in high school that I remember the most. And that was prom. Everyone remembers their prom experience. And I was like, okay, what if we take this character, have her kind of go on this little journey throughout this night. And at the end of it, she finally, you know, comes out to her dad. So that's kind of how that idea started. So it kind of came from the blueprint of what I had written like two years ago. And I was like, I could definitely get a short done as opposed to a feature. And I, I'm glad that 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 was the way it happened because I felt like I was ready to tell this specific story. And I'm glad that that I made that that decision. So that's kind of how it stems. So at last kind of stems from this idea of a feature that I wanted to to make two years ago and then uh, I feel like everything happens for a reason and life experience and the years pass and I think I became more comfortable with who I am as a person and I was able to finally express that through the short film. Yeah after living through 2020 the idea of prom being this big important thing just saying that sounds kind of silly but when you watch the, the short it's like 
you captured that feeling. Of, I can't remember the exact line that's delivered, but something along the lines of they're waiting for you. And like with the music and the delivery of that line, it's just kind of like, yes, this is the most important fucking thing. <laughs> like, the, like it, it really like it takes you back to getting in the car and driving to prom and the way that you feel is like this is an important night again i could go scene by scene and just <laughs> <laughs> and applaud you on everything full but, on commentary but... track style but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. to answer the the feature question so you know i had that blueprint right from a couple years ago and then mm-hmm. we made the short and i knew that you know people were always are always asking and still asking you know what is there a feature like what ha- i want to know what happens next so I-, I knew that this story is worth kind of expanding and got a writing partner and we just brainstormed in six days okay like this is where we're going to go before prom and this is lauren's life after prom and everyone loves each character like you mentioned earlier so it's kind of also giving a backstory of these individual characters and and more backstory on the family itself and what is this teen's struggle she's closeted and then she comes out and then what is that thing that's keeping her in the closet there so there was so much i you know we 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 wanted to expand on so we're super excited where the script is now and and the story that we have and i feel like it's the perfect kind of you know continuation for for the short but but i feel like it's very much what other filmmakers what other big filmmakers have done in the past i think like for instance the one example i can give off the top of my head is damien chazelle and how he wanted to expand on his story of whiplash but he couldn't Mm -hmm. actually make the feature film so he went and he asked jk simmons to be in his short film version of it and only filmed just that scene where it's like the one two three four scene if anybody has seen the movie one two three one two three one two three rushing or drag So you do know the difference. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will fuck you like a pig. Now, are you a rusher or are you a dragger? Or are you going to be on my fucking time? I'm going to be on your time. That short did so well that Jason Blum came to him and he was like, we want to help you expand and make the movie bigger and you make your full movie. So it's stuff like that. Like as long as you show like what you said, the blueprint of what you can show a producer or another filmmaker. And they're like, you know what? I see what you're doing with this. If you want to make the bigger film, go for it. And then you're able to make that the film, not the film, the film. So I think that I can totally see where this is going to go. And I'm so goddamn excited as to where it (laughs) will go. I feel like to to end on it, are there any last words, uh, both Lorena and Katie, before we move and transition into our double features, is there anything you want to say to everyone out there about the the film before we press on? Katie, <laughs> <laughs> we said, said a lot. I just I, I just wanted to double check. Just wanted to make sure. Um, Thank you to whoever watches it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you like it. Yeah. We hope it leaves you in tears. <laughs> No, I'm just super happy with, you know, the way the film has been received, you know, so far festivals and people who have bought tickets, you know, at the festivals to watch 
the film, this whole thing has been a labor of love and it's been the greatest blessing for me and to watch, you know, people resonate with the film, whether they fall within the LGBT community or not. We set out to make a universal film and to know that we've accomplished that has been amazing because it's been literally a collaborative effort. The amazing uh, cast and the crew and the Everyone who just put their hands in and got their hands dirty to, to make this film possible. And our contributors, you know, when we set out to make this film, there was no other way we could make this film but fundraising the entire budget of it. And that's not easy to ask for money. It was super hard. Um, and through, uh, you know, our contributors and through companies like Panavision, who uh, donated a camera package to us. It, it was all these little things and we all managed to pull together to, to make this happen. So I'm just super grateful and happy that, that we had this incredible team together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Still smiling, still grinning, still lovely as hell. <laughs> you never gave up. Exactly. You never gave up and it's showing. You went from this and now we're very excited to see what the future holds for you and your career. And as well as Katie, because again, she fucking bang up job all the way through and i'm excited to see where your career takes you because if this short film is any indication you're gonna kill it out there oh, i already, thank I already you. know yeah so with that all being said uh one last thing i want to mention george lopez we love you okay anyway now we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> Second part. <laughs> it would have been a disservice if I never mentioned his name at all. I know I didn't mention your name at all, George, if you even listen. You're probably not. But yeah, we love you. Uh, so now we're going to transition to the final segment of the podcast, which is our uh, staff and guest recommendations of the week. The way we go about this is we chose a film that is in our heart of hearts that we love that we absolutely have to tell everyone in the stratosphere, including even all of the extraterrestrials up in the atmosphere. And uh, what we'd like to do with that is add a second film to it as a double feature. So if you all want to have a night out uh at home safely social distance stuff like that uh then you can do that at home and we'll go in this order because it seems to be working whenever we have guests on so we'll start with lorena katie angel jason and myself uh so we'll start with you lorena what is uh what is your recommendation of the week you had to start with me, huh? I, you know, because we, we've tried before where it's one of those things where we usually had sometimes like the guests go last or anything, but we realized like all we the guests are doing is, yeah, they're just hearing our voices and it takes forever. So we want, we want your voices to be heard first and then they already know what we're going to talk about after. So you, we want you to take it away. Um, I'm going to have to go with some kind of wonderful. This is not true. It can't be. This has got to be, like, the most hilarious rumor ever floated, right? What are you talking about? Okay. I'm in town last night. I hear everybody talking about how Keith has asked this girl out. No way. <laughs> Check it out. This girl is popular. She's beautiful and obviously in the middle of some emotional shootout to consent to date the human tater tot. What did you do to her, Keith? Threaten her life? I just asked her out. Well, her boyfriend's a man, for Christ's sake. Hey, 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 hey. Well, he's extensively easy on the eyes. He's a total buck, and you're... You're... Keith. Is she nice? Mother, the girl is sex. God's sakes, I'm eating! Ooh! Which I just saw recently. Good one. You're taking it to mm -hmm. Hughes territory. Oh, yeah. John Hughes was... Jason, I think he mentioned it. 
he was such an inspiration when, you know, I mean, I think he has, he is the genius of all geniuses kind of being able to reflect the high school experience and teenagers. And he does it so beautifully. And definitely while writing, that was someone who I just studied his work as much as possible and his writing and how he managed to just make that so authentic. You know, people of all ages can resonate with his characters that he writes. And I, you I just I definitely feel the influence. It never once felt like you were lifting anything from him, but you could feel the influence of that. What was it about some kind of wonderful that struck you? What was it that made you want to recommend it to everybody? I love the performances and John Hughes just has such a knack for dialogue. I think for the eighties to mm -hmm. have even have a character who like might be gay, I think mm -hmm. even at that time was like pretty like controversial. Yes. Like controversial, but you know, it's, it's in this film and it is what it is. And she's like the best friend and like, is she, is she not type mm -hmm. of thing. So I think that's pretty clever. And what I love about Hughes, and I'm so glad you brought up Hughes, because uh, for people that don't know, if you want to check back on one of our older episodes, we have a whole episode dedicated to him. And that was all me because I love the man so much. Uh, but for me, like why I love Hughes, especially when he wrote a lot of his movies, was that he was so inclusive to any kind of teenager who felt like their voices could never be heard. And it didn't just apply, I mean, not just to LGBTQ, but it was also kind of a, a wider spectrum of people. Because if you, I mean, I think the film that just, shows his brilliance of including everyone is obviously The Breakfast Club. I think that's the film mm -hmm, that really mm -hmm. spans that type of topic. And I think the scene that everyone talks about, of course, is when they're all gathered together in the half circle. The and, therapy scene. Yeah. And what I found <laughs> so brilliant was that that was the one of the only scenes in the movie where he didn't write a single thing. It was all improv with all the five actors. What would your friends say if we were walking down the hall together? They'd laugh their asses off, and you'd probably tell them that you were doing it with me so they'd forgive you for being seen with me. Don't you ever talk about my friends. You don't know any of my friends, you don't look at any of my friends, and you certainly wouldn't condescend to speak to any of my friends, so you just strip to the things that you know. Shopping, nail polish, your father's BMW, and your poor, rich, drunk mother in the Caribbean. Yeah! And as far as being concerned about what's going to happen when you and I walk down the hallways of school, you can forget it, because it's never going to happen. Just bury your head in the sand and wait for your fucking prom. I hate you. Yeah? Good. I thought it was so clever because they're all getting to know each other throughout the course of filming and they're developing their characters and Hughes is so collaborative in the way he wants to get to know everybody and know them as if that's the character, like like with Claire or Bender and all these guys. So when they're all sitting together, he was like, we're just gonna put the camera on you guys and we're gonna let you do your thing. And if I tell you that at some point you may need to kind of jump back to what the character was talking about earlier, I'll tell you to do that, but just feel free. So he was always open to whatever anyone had to say or do because he wanted all of that expression to come out through the camera. And I mean, the dialogue is obviously very important, but I mean, that's that's just one of the many things you can appreciate about Hughes. I mean, Hughes is just a talent, but he was also such a voracious writer. So there's a lot of history also, to be Also, you're kind of doing better than Hughes, in my opinion, because you know whenever he had let's be honest like breakfast club is all white 16 candles is like there's someone that's not oh it's all racial jokes <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right. yeah so there's definitely a lot more diversity and then also if i have i love breakfast club let me say mm -hmm. that first but secondly there's so much bullshit in that movie and if there's one thing that i could do if i could go in and cut would be the ali sheedy scene of her changing her persona was just like what is this like what's the message here so yeah. i think that as far as like 
being more human and getting a better message across. Like, I think you're doing one better than Hughes in that regard. Yeah, I mean, we, we could totally go into that. But I mean, some kind of wonderful, though. I actually, I saw that pretty recently as well during uh, the whole quarantine. I did like a whole binge of all the Hughes movies, but <laughs> I feel like it's such an underrated film that no one really it gets is. a chance to watch. There's that and the film that I talked about in the older episode, She's Having a Baby. I think those are some of the most underrated Hughes films out there that no one has ever really watched because they're overshadowed with stuff like the stuff he written, like Home Alone. Mm -hmm. or Uncle Buck or Breakfast Club. They don't get a chance to see those other films that he dedicated so much of his heart to. So that mm -hmm. is, that's a really excellent film that you bring up that more people get the chance to check out and watch, which which leads me to to think, uh, what, what, what would you pair the movie up with? Like, what would you pair up some kind of wonderful with? I could see it go perfectly with, um, of course, 16 Candles, mm -hmm. if you want to keep it in that realm. In the um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Or... Another one that it's more contemporary. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the film uh, Pariah, mm -hmm. like one Sundance back in 2010. I would pair it with that. There's some kind of wonderful in Pariah. That's that's the double right there. Well, thank you very much, Lorena. <laughs> that, that was fantastic. Uh, we're gonna move on to Katie here. Katie, what do, what do you got for us? What is what is your recommendation? So one of my favorite movies, and I always recommend this to people, especially if you have any desire to become an actor, is The Spectacular Now. No, I mean like, uh, what's the story about you? About me? Yeah. Um, I don't really have any stories. What do you mean, everyone's got a story? Not me, I guess. <laughs> um, all right, so like, what's, I don't know, what's your thing? Anything? Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody's got a thing. Larry Rourke, stoner. Uh, Greg Jacoby is the rich kid. What's your thing? I don't know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that there's more to a person than just one thing, you know? Oh. I love that uh. film. <laughs> is one of my biggest inspirations and um just how natural she is that like, that's what i try to be on on camera but her and miles teller that chemistry between them is just impeccable and it's a perfect coming of age film oh my god i haven't seen that one yet uh, oh my gosh it's so Lorena. fucking good <laughs> I, you know what i have to chime in with my words for half a second now because that you know what first of all yes the performances in that movie are so so real but what i mm -hmm. love is james ponsel like james yes. ponsel he also for people that don't know we talked about in an earlier episodes well he directed the end of the world or the end of the uh, end of the tour the end of the tour that's and, a great movie by the way yeah exactly uh jesse has another one Jason Siegel. yeah david yeah. foster wallace and his whole little weekend uh that's a great film but the spectacular now so i think this was after smashed with mary elizabeth winstead and aaron paul and it was about alcoholism i that's a huge recommend if you if you love mm -hmm. spectacular now go check that out because that's a really great film but spectacular now is fantastic because it's one of those movies where it feels like i'm having like a euphoric feeling when i'm watching it i don't know why i think it could be the rob simonson score it could be the performances it could be the direction there are so many ways to look at this movie but i think the scene that gives me major chills i don't know if this was the same way for you but when they're mm -hmm. sitting at prom and baby is playing in the background and everything is in slow motion oh yeah and he's saying like i love you all i love this moment god this is awesome seriously like everybody just singing and dancing falling in love So happy. 
I mean, this like this this is our night. This is the youngest that we're ever gonna be. I love these people. <laughs> I do. I love these people. I love you all. Because, yeah, I mean, they're establishing that Miles Teller, his character is living in the now, but he's very much an alcoholic. He drinks consistently. It's the, really the only escape that he has, but it makes him more personable toward everybody. But he's genuinely a really nice person, but that crutch is almost holding him back to being a better person and getting past everything in his life. But I cannot stress how good that movie is. It mm -hmm. also, to me has like one of the most realistic sex scenes I've, I've seen. Like, oh, it's it's uncomfortable because yeah. it's, it feels so real. It's, it's like, it feels like you're in that the, like, the same room with them. I'm like, oh gosh. The door's right there. Can I just leave? I don't have exactly. to watch this. Oh, yeah, uh, there's so many amazing things about that. But I know I kind of took over that a little bit. No, you took the words right out of my mouth though. That was, that was great. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about that movie. I think also it was one of the first coming of age A24 movies I had seen. So yeah. yeah. You know what, what I thought of too when you were saying that is one of my favorite sex scenes in a teen comedy which is let me rephrase that but i think one of the best no shocker it came from a female director but one of the best depictions of having sex in high school and capturing all the awkwardness and uncomfortable aspects of it is uh amy heckerling's fast times at richmond high oh yeah and oh, i just now okay. realize like oh shit like jennifer jason lee is in this movie too so like that has to be like no accident there has to be uh inspiration there but yeah i i, I love this movie i there's that cast is perfect for spectacular mm. now yeah there, there's a lot of great scene like again it was it's either the uncomfortable sex scene or it's the scene where he just fully collapses and he's with jennifer jason lee's mom and he's just crying or when he meets his dad or oh my god there's so and also again mary elizabeth winstead is in that movie as well so i find that mm -hmm. very poetic that he brought her back in a scene that talks with his uh, brother about you know the alcoholism in his life i find that so touching in a way Man, I didn't think I would ever get this philosophical in an episode. I honestly, I didn't expect <laughs> it. But um, besides spectacular, like what, what would you pair spectacular with? I mean, if we're going the same route, like the John Hughes, it's gotta be 16 Candles or at last, hey. 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 <laughs> you got the you got the dance scene, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, that's not a bad pair, pair that pair that shit up, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at last, everyone. Sorry, you gotta watch. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but honestly, I'm so I'm just really glad you brought the movie up because it's just one of those movies I always look back on. And it was also partially for me the reason why I wanted to start writing scripts at all. Like I remember specifically after I saw that movie, I wrote a 70-page script on Microsoft Word that was terribly formatted for my age. I was only like 12 or 13, I think, but it was just terribly formatted. I would have given myself an F. It was just it wasn't great, but it was a huge inspiration to want to take a step forward and think about how to really deviate the genre norms for a coming of age movie and not have to rely on a lot of the old techniques that a lot of those old movies used to do. And I think, you know, 16, regardless of all the problematic things that are going on in that movie, and like every John Hughes movie, it has a lot of heart behind it. And so mm -hmm. when you see the ending of 16, it's just all these little things that add up to it. Uh, and at last, go check it out when you, know, when you can check it out. <laughs> how uh, crazy yeah. that you both mentioned a Miles Teller movie. Oh yeah. Oh, oh that's right. Whiplash. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 
well, yeah, go check out the spectacular now and uh, and at last. I'm I'm just gonna skimp over sixteen. Go just go check out at last. We're we're, we're plugging. Go. <laughs> we're gonna keep plugging. So there Wait. you go. <laughs> Can I say uh, something? Yeah, absolutely. I want to change my uh, double features. Yes, you now, can. now, okay. <laughs> so, some kind of wonderful with. This is one of my favorite books too. Because I, hearing you guys, I was like, wait, there's one that one book that I love, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Hey, everyone, raise your glasses to Charlie. What did I do? You didn't do anything. We just want to toast our new friend. You see things, and you understand. You're a wallflower. What is it? What's wrong? I didn't think anyone noticed me. <laughs> well, we didn't think there was anyone cool left to meet. So, come on, everyone. To Charlie. To Charlie. Welcome to the island of misfit toys. Oh, oh that's that's oh, fantastic. Good. There you go. That's that's my yeah Best that's soundtrack, my double though. feature yeah because that yes. yeah that book like changed my life and I remember telling my high school English teacher who made us read the book I was like Miss Huggins I'm gonna make this into a film one day mm -hmm. and then fast forward a couple years later Stephen Chabowski actually wrote the screenplay and directed it but I'm so happy that he did he didn't let someone else do it because I think it was it's one of those films that I feel like, or books that I feel like the film did it justice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was um, like, who's ever going to be able to turn this into a movie? And of course, only the author. Yeah. <laughs> done it right. My double feature. But like, mm -hmm. come on, Eileen and Heroes. Like, the, that is, that's what brought the songs back <laughs> to the mainstream. If they were gone, that movie brought it back. Like, they're, oh God, that... You know what? I'll yeah. just say I'll just say one scene. I don't even want it's uh, it's out of context. But when he's just crying and he's holding back his tears, that'll break you. That'll break you mm -hmm. so hard. I love that. Oh, and the cast too is amazing. Emma Watson for mm -hmm. Sam. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love Logan. Too. I feel like he's so underrated because he was in the limelight for a while and then just kind of like you know kind of escaped a little bit and then he comes mm -hmm. back and he looks just as gorgeous as ever. I'm like, dude, yeah. <laughs> put all that put all the handsomeness away. You're taking it from everyone else right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh but i mean yeah the cast is really really great in that movie and i just love oh god man may whitman giving she should be given more props for that movie because she's really good in it too but it's like mm -hmm. overshadowed by emma watson obviously and ezra miller and logan lerman and all these guys and oh paul rudd i love you please come oh on yes show. i love you paul rudd um, <laughs> please go. can't forget about paul rudd I, I know i saw you on hot ones and it's my favorite but please come on just come on the podcast talk about some movies we're talking mac and me mac and me yeah <laughs> let me just bring up one thing quickly you've been coming on the show for many 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 years and you do this one thing consistently which is you say we're going to see a clip and then i throw to what i think is a clip and it turns out to be a clip from this terrible et ripoff right uh, called mac and me mac and, and you have done this to me I think about 30 times. Uh, May Whitman, you're right though. May Whitman's always overshadowed. She's, she is, oh, she's so great. I don't know if any of you watch Parenthood. Oh but, my gosh, yes. My favorite yeah, show. Yeah, that's, that show is so great and she's so wonderful and it talk about a, on another amazing cast. But man, from Scott Pilgrim to like, I mean, everything she's done, she's always fantastic in, but always, the, the role is always 
minor enough to where the other things stand out more, but I want to see her in more things. I'm glad she I'm glad she didn't end up in Independence Day too. She's better than that. Well, thank you very much, Katie, for your uh, for your double feature. That's fantastic. Uh, we appreciate it. And I love <laughs> that because of Lorena, oh, that's never happened before. And I'm so glad it happened because it just opened up the conversation bigger. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, okay, we can keep going. Um, that was our first switch. You made history, Lorena. Yes. Was- <laughs> thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you very much, Katie. Uh, now we're going to jump to good old Angel here. Angel, uh, what do you got? this week sir uh before i talk about this film no one looked this film up i know hands off keyboard because i oh. know we we like to look up stuff we're talking about but this is an exception mm-hmm. please that's so funny i was gonna do the same disclaimer for mine <laughs> wow <laughs> hands off keyboard. guys are like literally head in head it's annoying it's like <laughs> it's ridiculous uh. this one's for real though okay so um my pick is the children's hour from 1961 this film mm-hmm. is directed by william wyler uh Ooh. this film this that film is a, re- a sigh of, that okay. was just a sigh of pleasure thank you okay yes yes we love william wyler yes. right so this film is a remake of william wyler's own film called these three from 1963 from 1936 which was a very watered down highly censored telling of the story so he remade his own film to add the theme that wasn't allowed in the first film, which still wasn't allowed. And many people can't believe two of Hollywood's greatest stars of all time even got this film made, the one I'm about to talk about. This film stars James Garner, Shirley MacLaine, and Audrey Hepburn. I won't say what the film is entirely about because when I watched it, I knew absolutely nothing about it. And that is seriously the best way to go. Just not knowing anything, just pushing play, I promise. But very vaguely, Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn live and work in this all-girls school. They teach, they have a difficult time with the child. And that's pretty much all I'll say. Catherine Hepburn and Doris Day were originally offered the lead roles that went to Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine, no relation to Catherine Hepburn. This film was nominated for five Oscars, including Faye Banter for Best Actress in Supporting Role, Best Black and White Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, and Best Sound. So to get five Oscar noms, the year West Side Story, La Dolce Vita, and Breakfast at Tiffany's won everything, this film had no chance to even... But at least they were nominated. Well, yeah, because I've never heard of it, so I I wouldn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This was Audrey Hepburn's last black and white picture. So I have seen a handful of Shirley MacLaine roles, but this role in particular cemented her as one of my favorite actresses. And her role in this film, specifically this role that she plays, has become one of my favorite roles of all time cinema history ever. This film is a masterpiece, and after the rewatch that I watched, what, maybe four weeks ago, this film officially made it onto my top three favorite films of all time. I kind of have to mildly spoil the theme, Mm -hmm. so I'm sorry, but this film has one of the first coming out scenes filmed, if not the first ever coming out scenes filmed in a feature ever. This was 1961, and it stirred up mad, mad, mad controversy. Mm-hmm. But you can get the Blu-ray from Kino with no extras, but the BFI Blu-ray comes with the booklet and the film historian commentary track, or you could rent it for $3.99. I've talked about so many films on this podcast, but I've never recommended a film, especially talking about this theme of At Last and all that, especially mm-hmm. with two big stars as <laughs> Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn, and one of the greatest directors of all time, William Wyler. She's insane, but I love her, especially in Billy Wilder movies. Yeah, if you've seen like The Apartment or Irma mm-hmm. LaDuce, she's like just incendiary. I love that woman. 
she's crazy but, but no one really talks about her because of all the stars like audrey hepburn like she's low-key because so many other stars just were in the forefront while she was still killing especially for her oscar nom in the apartment right this film like i can't urge lorena or anyone else that has seen at last or loves these lgbtq films to watch the children's hour from 1961 it's my biggest recommendation i've ever had on this podcast God damn. Yeah, watch a, it. That's a bold <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, moving on with I'm gonna double this with but I'm a cheerleader from 1999. Dear Lord, we thank you for the abundance that you have provided. Please bless this food that we are about to eat. And Lord, please help us to obey the roles in life you set for us. Megan, we love you. And lately we've become concerned about certain behaviors. You don't even like to kiss me. It's, it's true. true. You don't have any pictures of guys in your locker, just these. We're afraid you're being influenced by a... Honey, we think you're a... Lesbian. Mm -hmm. I work for a place called True Directions who help people like yourself learn to understand the homosexual tendencies. What tendencies? Why don't you start by telling us the first time that you realize that you might be a lesbian? I'm not perverted. I get good grades. I go to church. I'm a cheerleader. It's a long path to righteousness, Megan. And it's a battlefield of temptation out there and you're gonna have to fight. <laughs> I'm not supposed to like you, but... Okay, who wants to go down with me? Ooh. Yes. Story by and directed by Jamie Babbitt, Praise the Female Filmmakers. Mm -hmm. The film stars Natasha Lyonne, well known for her role as Nikki Nicole's in Orange is the New Black. It also stars Michelle Williams as a cheerleader and RuPaul. Uh, this film, yes. <laughs> in here. This is just crazy because I didn't realize that back in uh, 99 that they had this big of a cast. Continue, please. Uh, the film is about our main protagonist, Megan, played by Natasha Leone, who likes to look at cheerleaders who doesn't feel much of anything when she's making out with her boyfriend and is ultimately sat down by her friends and family having an intervention with her accusing her of being a lesbian. So her mother signs her up to a camp called True Directions, which is a homosexual deprogramming camp whose goal is to turn these teens straight. The camp guilts her into coming out, which she does, and gradually learns to accept. Uh, this film is just full-on comedy satire when RuPaul himself plays a head instructor in the camp who is in charge of turning these teens straight. Fucking RuPaul's in charge it's of It's such that. an under-discussed <laughs> movie. It's so good. Uh, the girls have to wear pink and clean, and the boys have to wear blue and fix cars. It's a running joke, and it makes fun of the non-progressive conservatives who stereotype and judge without getting to know who they are. Because as funny as this film is, there's a lot of heart and a good love story. This film bashes any stereotypes that <laughs> these non-progressive people have about the gays. So this is a very prideful film trying to break off stereotypes. There's even like Christians with signs out there with these remarks to the, the gay people. Mm -hmm. But there is so much that goes on in this film that I'm not even touched and I can't even touch th that it made it such a good time. And the film sets are incredibly bright and vibrant. A lot of attention was paid on set design. The music soundtrack is fantastic with female fronted punk rock and the alternative rock of the 90s is blurring throughout the film. To go with the theme of female filmmakers and coming out, I recommend, but I'm a cheerleader from 1999. You can watch it for free on YouTube. 
Well, fantastic. Thank you very much, Angel. Now we're going to move on to good old Mr. Anders, Jason. Jason, what do you have for us, sir? So same uh, disclaimer as Angel had for his movie. I'm going to say this is a movie that's on Criterion. Don't even read the description. I'm going to try and censor as much of this as possible because (laughs) I went into this movie blind, just like Angel was saying with his movie. I think it's much better doing it that way. Uh, But I'll give you a little bit more information than I had when I sat down to watch it. This is a movie from 1976. It's known as one of the most controversial films of all time. The reason I say don't Google it is because it's based on a true incident. And if you read the newspaper headline, it tells you basically the entire film in one headline. So it's it's a huge spoiler for that. I know Angel has seen this movie, so I'm anticipating to hear like what your what your thoughts are on it. But um, this is from a provocative Japanese director. His name is Nagisa Oshima. It's called In the Realm of the Senses from 1976. Uh, This is a movie, again, based on a true story. It's a very graphic depiction of the destruction of a relationship between a man and a woman. This couple's living in an era escalating imperialism and governmental control in Japan. I don't even know how to describe it without kind of getting into spoiler territory. I will say, don't watch it with the family. This is, I wouldn't call this movie pornographic, but there is a lot of strong, strong sexual content. This is more of a political film, but sex was such a huge issue in Japan when this film was made that Even to today, this movie is still banned in its own country. I shouldn't say completely banned. It's actually censored. They've cut up this film. And and so people who live in Japan, and this is by a Japanese director, they've never screened the true version of this film. And they really, truly butchered this movie. In fact, the director left the country to edit this movie elsewhere so that he wouldn't be arrested, they still incarcerated him for being in possession of the screenplay that he wrote for it. Like, that's bonkers to me. But this is a movie that Oshima talked about wanting to break taboos by using eroticism, not as something for its own sake, as Japan did with the pink film. We've talked about pink cinema a little bit. Nikatsu, which is a studio in Japan, think of it as the equivalent to Universal Pictures because they actually were established at the same time. And Nikatsu is a studio that's as big in Japan as Universal was in America. And I want to say it was around 1913 that it was established. I'd have to like look it up to be for sure. But it's it's a studio that's been around for 100 years. Imagine if Universal in the 1970s said, all right, we're done with the movie movies you're familiar with we're gonna just start making nothing but porn uh we have all these directors and actors under contract with some people leaving those contracts and leaving the studio when this happened uh what i think is fascinating about pink films is that you have directors if you put it in, in terms of if this happened in america what if martin scorsese and brian de palma and steven spielberg were told okay you do whatever you want but it just has to be porn That's essentially what happened in Japan. So it's kind of fascinating to see how these directors worked in pornography. This film, however, was using sex to break taboos and say something political. And this is a pretty major no-no in Japan, especially then, uh, which is what led to the director being incarcerated. This is in the same vein of movies like The Conformist from 1970 or Last Tango in Paris from 1972, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller in 1971, all breaking these barriers. But uh, the director actually won. He was acquitted in 1982, but the ban of showing in the realm of the senses remains. And like I said, it's never been seen complete outside of Japan. I'm trying to think of what all I can tell you about it, but it's basically the story of a couple 
and their relationship and what intense erotic passion can actually lead to nothing good there are some things that you'll see in this movie that and i'm not even i'm not even going to say what they are but Van, they will never leave my mind. Angel, what you you said that you watched this movie, and you, and what, I'm just curious what your what would you say about it to people who have not seen it by way of uh, recommending it? Well, first of all, not saying anything is the best way to go into it. But if I did have to say something about it, I saw this like maybe five, six years ago. So I haven't seen it since because of obvious reasons. But what I do remember about it, it's kind of just like psychological tormenting between this couple where you think sex is a key to like absolute freedom, but it's actually just taking you down to a lower level of hell. It gets art housey in the sense that like, this isn't your traditional love story by any sense of the word. But when I finished watching the film, I remember this, I can't say it due to the respect of the Zoom chat. But we we talked about, because I recently watched, started watching the Emmanuel films and there's one Emmanuel in America, which is essentially, they're made to be like sex exploitation in the 70s, like grindhouse movies. To get but, as close to the edge of what the hell are you doing as possible. That's usually what they are. Well, yeah, and, and the, well, the theme of that movie is, here's a woman that's been put in the middle of this group of rich people, rich white Americans who have, you know, they have all the money in the world and they've kind of become bored of the way some people might entertain themselves. That's all boring to them now and and speaking in like terms of sexuality like once they get bored of something they want to kick it up a notch and so we're we're tuning in in that movie to where they're just doing some of the most vile disgusting things Mm -hmm. to get off so that's kind of what happens in this movie is you you see a couple kind of just pushing forward and getting more and more extreme and and saying it goes beyond experimenting to a point of like obsession and madness Mm-hmm. Yeah, the girl's and, just begging the man like every almost every scene in a sense. And it's continues. not, you know, you see a lot of sex and like you see a lot of actual like, you know, penetration. But I will yeah. tell, tell you this, you are not turned on. <laughs> you, you are, you watch yeah. this movie just like you feel, <laughs> it, it's, and that's why I say it's not pornographic because when you're watching it, it you have a really sick feeling of just like, oh God, I wish someone would help these people, but they're kind of beyond help. Well, but, the same uh, way the director, the, the way directors do political films with slashers or with any other yeah, genre, yeah. this guy wanted to do it with sex. Yeah, mixed themes and stuff like that. In general, I know what everyone says when it comes to sex in movies, how it can be, it's always and always will be gratuitous, but there are so many movies that, you know, there's some movies where it's like, it's not needed, but when they add it, it's like, oh, well, I mean, I don't know why you kind of did that. There's no point, but I guess if it's in the movie, but then some movies require it. Like they they need it in order to progress the story and tell it in a way uh, based on how it was written, how the director goes about it. Like there's so many different ways to add just that topic. We've talked about this topic so much throughout the course of the podcast and how it's both a positive and a negative and all that. But like the way you're describing this movie, Jason, like I feel like, based on what you've said the movie almost requires it obviously because it's trying to get to a point where i don't know what's gonna happen in this movie i don't know what what (laughs) happens Uh, and i feel like you're gonna hide it because you even said like don't look anything up about it so i know you won't say anything that going forward about like the ending or anything crazy yeah i don't even think i realized it was a true story going into it oh i I forgot about that too okay yeah (laughs) i I went into this watching it to kind of devour the director's work because his work is so 
it's highly regarded but it's also so varied like uh, the movies that he he makes very he intentionally will remove any trace of personal style from his film so that if you could watch all of his movies in a row and none of them will seem like they're directed by the same person he doesn't want to have a style which i kind of thought was interesting because that's something that most filmmakers they want that personal touch Mm -hmm. you can't watch a wes anderson movie and not know that you're watching a wes anderson movie he's kind of the opposite he's like i don't want you to know you're watching one of my movies something that's interesting about this movie too which kind of led me into his films was uh the lead actor tatsuya fuji he was pretty popular before this but his popularity was fading on Japanese cinema and he was in films with like Miko Kaji and like that's how I became aware of him he he did a lot of stuff that I I was a fan of that's kind of what led me to falling down the rabbit hole but uh, his female partner in the movie Iko Matsuda she just pretty much never worked again after this movie and he his career (laughs) took back off on a second wave that kind of tells you everything you need to know about just the way people perceive actors making films like this it destroys the woman's career and and it enhances the man's career it's such a strange outcome especially with all the taboo stuff behind it and how people think it's as taboo as it is but it's really not i mean it's 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 such a double standard in cinema and i really don't i personally don't understand it to be quite honest if you have the criterion channel that's probably the best way to watch it because right now it also has a wonderful commentary by tony rains on it he also does uh, an essay that you can read on criterion's website so you'll definitely want to understand where this movie came from and the context of it when you're finished with it if, if you do watch it but uh, criterion channel has everything at least currently that the blu-ray offers and the the commentary and essay on it goes into a lot of what was going on at the time politically with japan and, and what exactly where this movie came from how it came to be and what happened as a result of it all that's pretty fascinating stuff stuff but yeah so that is in the realm of the senses from 1976 in 1978 he made what he calls his companion piece to this film a very different kind of movie in fact almost the complete opposite type Mm. of movie well the thing that drew me into this movie is the cover the it's it's also on criterion and the cover art is a man and a woman looking down a well with a ladder strewn down the well. So you're looking, it's like you're at the bottom of the well looking up at them. Some people might even recall that image, but not even know what the movie was. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's called Empire of Passion. So this came out to be a companion piece. However, there's nothing supernatural about in the realm of the senses. Empire of Passion is a horror ghost story, but also about a relationship. And it's all about guilt and retribution within a marriage. And this is set in a Japanese village at the end of the 19th century. And it details the downfall of a married woman and her younger lover. So it it starts off with an affair. I'm going to leave the rest of the story out of my mm-hmm. recommendation because it's it's much better to experience it for yourself. This is also on the Criterion channel. So this would make a great double feature. And this is also the film that won the director the award for best director at the Cannes Film Festival the year that it came out. So in the realm of the senses and empire of passion, I am now in love with this director, Nagisa Oshima. He's made movies war movies movies with david bowie like it's all over the place so uh i i recommend if you want to dive into this uh, filmmaker's filmography these were the first two that i started with and uh it's been a fun little journey i can't believe that's been recommended on this show first of all thank you very much jason we appreciate that okay here's the thing my <laughs> when you were talking about couples and everything my it, it's so funny i mean obviously this movie is not going to be nearly as graphic or ridiculous as as that movie based on what you've said but I didn't know, I, it was one of those things where I already knew what my first movie was. 
I already knew what it was. It was locked. I saw it a couple of days ago and it is incredible, but I didn't know exactly what to pair it up with. So I was kind of scrolling through other people's filmographies, like the actors, directors, stuff like that, just trying to figure out exactly what I could pair it up with, you know? And so I think after a good period of time, I was like, I don't know what to do. And so this morning I was looking on my shelf and I saw the movie based, uh, because the first movie I saw had the actress in it. And I watched the movie today and oh my God, it was incredible. It was so good. So ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about Carrie Mulligan because she is hands down one of the most talented actresses of our time. I'm not even joking when I say this. If you know what I'm talking about, you kind of have an idea where one movie is going to go than the other. But the first movie I'm going to recommend, the la my second movie was originally my first movie. I'm sorry, everybody, if I'm confusing you out there. I'm just trying to explain it the way I guess I know how. But my second movie was originally my first movie. Then after watching this first movie this morning, I'm like, no, it's getting shot up to the top. So the first movie I'm going to be recommending this week is a film directed by Paul Dano and written by his wife, uh, Zoe Kazan, uh, together. And it's called Wildlife. It stars Carrie Mulligan, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Ed Oxenbold. How do you feel about your name? Never thought about it. We chose it because it was plain. Joe, you could be anyone with that name. I suppose. Jeanette. Whenever like that. Seemed like a waitress's name. What would you rather be called? Well, there used to be a singer named Lottie. Lottie Da. How would that be? I like Jeanette. You have to like me the way I am. Anyway, I guess at my age, I don't have much choice. How old are you? I'm 34. Does that seem like the wrong age? Would you like it better if I said I was 50? No. 34 is all right. All right. Well, I won't be this age forever, so don't get used to it. It's essentially about a family in the 1960s and they, oh, I forgot to add a pause so I can add the trailer. Tyler, just add the trailer anyway. The film <laughs> is essentially about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Carrie Mulligan, and Ed Oxenbold, and they're all a family living in 1960s Montana, I think, somewhere. I think it's Montana. And this is when like raging wildfires are going on. And that's kind of like the, the outer setting around it. But Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Mulligan, they had their child when they were 20 years old. So they have essentially lived their lives with this child and they've been moving back and forth because Jake Gyllenhaal's character just can't carry a job. He thinks that he's going to rise up to be this bigger, you know, person and he's going to be able to have a good job but he just has never been able to achieve that and Carrie Mulligan's character has just been a stay-at-home mom she's never really been able to live her life and go further than that so she's a she's been a stay-at-home mom this whole time so when these wildfires are happening Jake Gyllenhaal gets let go from yet another job and they all feel like their lives are kind of at a standstill they don't really know what to do with their lives but what's very interesting about this film is that it's all from the point of view of the sun so you're seeing everything, all of the conflict, all of the terrible things that are going on through his eyes. So he's only 14. He has to get a job because Jake Gyllenhaal moves out to go fight these fires and he's not going to be there to help out his wife. And so he leaves. And so Carrie Mulligan's character ends up 
wanting to be a different person. She feels like because she settled so early in her life, she doesn't really know where to go. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to live my life the way that I've always envisioned it. And I'm going to see how I can be a different person while still taking care of my son. But this is just such a relatable movie because I've been in his position before. I've been in this child's position before where you feel alone and you don't feel like your parents are really there for you and you feel lost and you feel hopeless and there's nothing to do. Because when you're that young, what the hell are you supposed to do? You know, like your mom and your dad are these people that are supposed to raise you to be a good human being, if not better. And this kid is like on, on the honor roll. He's a really good student. He knows how to do all these good things. He's a very responsible kid. But when you're that young, you should have more guidance. You should have more, you know, more of an opportunity to be better. And so Jake Gyllenhaal is not really in this movie that much. He's in it for like the first 20 minutes, leaves, and then comes back for the last 10. He's not in this movie. That's not meant to be about him. It's more about Carrie Mulligan and Ed Oxenbold's movie. But Carrie Mulligan gives one of the best performances of the year back in 2018 or 2019, whenever it came out. It's one of those years. Uh, she gives such a phenomenal performance and it's very subtle. A lot of these performances are meant to be very subtle. And the dialogue, I mean, Paul Dano said in an interview that he was very, very tempted to use voiceover. He was very tempted to have the characters talk to the audience and tell them how they're feeling. But he presented himself with a challenge and said, you know what? Let's just do show, don't tell. Let's just show what's happening and not tell the audience because I feel they're smart enough to get what's going on. And oh man, I was smiling. <laughs> I was, I have never seen a filmmaker do it as good as he is. It's, it's something that I cannot recommend enough just for that. If you want like a film school on how to direct show, don't tell, I will throw you this movie immediately for a modern age, for a modern era of filmmaking. This is the best example of that. I think Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano, I think it took them almost 10 years to write the script. It took them a long time to write this because it went from writing it in a non-formatty way and then Zoe Kazan came in and wrote it in uh, the way you format a script. And then they started writing literally story treatments for almost every character in the movie. And there's really only four major characters that pop up throughout. And the amount of time it took to make this movie versus what was on screen, this is why making a movie is so fucking hard <laughs> because it <laughs> this long to get to a point in your life where you're going to make this. And when you make it, it's just extraordinary. And the last scene in this movie, after everything that happens, it's just, it's a punch right in the gut. Your feels just hit overdrive and you don't know how to process what you've seen unless you've been able to relate to it. And I just, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, if you want to see a great Carrie Mulligan performance, this is it. And she's been nothing but American in a lot of her movies. So when I heard in the uh, in the supplements on the on the Blu-ray that she was English, I'm like, this woman's continuing to surprise me. I am just shocked. Like I love when you think it, you know, an actor's like accent, and they like flip it on you, and you're like, oh, so you're like Scottish? That's weird, but cool, I guess. So uh, that is my first film is Wildlife directed by Paul Dano. It's on the Criterion Collection. They have a wonderful Blu-ray and has a lot of, I mean, not, there's not as many supplements, but it's how long the supplements are. It's almost like an hour's worth of supplements. So I haven't seen this movie, but I, I think I was telling you in the chat how much I love Zoe Kazan. Did you see the Western she made with Paul Dano? Yeah, she did a movie with it. It starred Michelle Williams, but it was Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, and Zoe Kazan. And it's uh, a Western called Meek's Cutoff, which is really great. So, But knowing that they did, I, I actually haven't seen the movie you're talking about, so I'm, I'm interested to watch it. But I think we chatted too about 
her grandfather is like <laughs> a film legend. Look, the uh, Marlon Brando's "I Could Have Been Somebody," "I Could Have Been a Contender," "I Could Have like, Been a Contender." <laughs> yeah. That was that was him. That was that was his movie. Though you know, he gave us James Dean's first movie, "East of Eden," was his film as well. So yeah, on the waterfront, like I mean, that's <laughs> a streetcar named Desire. Like that's crazy that people aren't like. And by the way, if you watch interviews with Zoe, more than even her movies, I'm going to recommend listening to conversations with her. She gives some really great, interesting uh, interviews about. She radiates the love of film as well when you hear her speak, especially just on the supplements on the Blu-ray as well. Like, uh, I feel so dumb when I listen to her talk. I'm like, (laughs) I wish I could communicate the state of this industry to people the way she does. Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. I love her. And I mean, again, keep in mind, this is more of Paul Dano's film than it is uh, uh, Zoe Kazan's. But I mean, she's just such a phenomenal actress and just phenomenal filmmaker, period. And I hope she is able to get the chance to make something because I just know that there is something in her that is going to make a good fucking movie. I could just feel it. Well, yeah, it's in her blood, dude. Well, I mean, look, Stanley Kubrick, and I'm going to quote him here. Kubrick said of her grandfather that Ilya Kazan was without question the best director we have in America and capable of performing miracles with the actors he uses. I mean, what higher recommend <laughs> note of recommendation do you need? Martin Scorsese actually made a documentary about him called A Letter to Ilya. It's just a tribute to him and his work, which is really great documentary if you if you're interested in just like the movies he's done. But yeah, it's in her blood. She's gonna she's gonna make I mean she already has. She's already a playwright and a screenwriter and I'm excited to see where that career goes. Well, everyone go check out Wildlife because this is an example. Now we're going to transition into a film that has just come out recently. And listen, if you all thought, if you all thought that Carrie Mulligan gave a phenomenal performance in Wildlife, if you've seen it, then you have seen nothing yet with the newest release, probably the newest release I've ever given a recommendation for. But my double feature is Promising Young Woman, written and directed by Emerald Fennell, and stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Alison Brie, Clancy Brown, the voice of Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob. What? Daisy. That's me. Dean Walker. Please sit. My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. A lot of you have seen the trailers. You may know what this is. This was produced by Margot Robbie's production company, probably one of the first major films that she's been able to acquire and get out there. And, oh my... God, (laughs) this movie is in 
incredible. It is very much a black comedy and very much a thriller. These genres go both hand in hand in this movie. And when it goes into a black comedy, it does not hold back. But when it's a thriller, it will shock you. I think I've said this before. I I know anyone who follows me on Instagram, they know. Um, but I released a whole like mini review of what I thought about the film because it just impacted me so much. But the last 25 minutes of this movie are so powerful that it's it just destroys you, man. It just I can't spoil it. I can't do it, and I'm not going to. But for everyone that has not seen the film, it just came out on January 14th or 15th on digital. Uh, it's 20 bucks. I highly recommend you give the 20 bucks because Margot Robbie needs to she needs to pull more movies for people because she is a phenomenal producer and and her production coming the way she goes about it. But for people that don't know, the movie is about a woman named Cassie, played by Carrie Mulligan. And she's a 30-year-old who lives with her parents. And she had a way more promising life than what she used to have, where she was going to school to become a doctor. And she was with her friend Nina. And they were both super, super close together. Like, they were essentially, like, they could not be broken apart. They were, like, at arm's length with each other. Her friend Nina uh, was involved in a terrible moment. She was she was raped by... Uh, okay, I, I'll say that because I can't go any more than that because we'll give it away. Uh, but that happens to her friend and her friend Nina inevitably goes down this spiral that just, she ends up, she ends up uh, dying. And so because of that, uh, she's left with this sense of loss. She's left with this sense of feeling that she wants to avenge her friend, but she just doesn't know how to until she realizes what she'll do is she wants to see how guys are in real life. Like how, how are they and how did Nina go through what she went through? So every night she goes to a club or every other week, I think she goes to a club, dresses up and acts like she is totally just shit faced gone. And a guy says, are you okay? Do you want me to take you home? I can take you home. But they end up like taking them back to the, their place and they want, she wants to see how far these guys are willing to go to someone who is unconscious and not really there. And when in reality, she's totally sober and she catches them in the act and says, what the hell are you doing? And that whole premise was the opening scene that Emerald Fennell pitched to Margot Robbie and said, I want you to make this movie. Like, that's it. You're going to make this movie. And this was Emerald Fennell. She had done killing eve before this and she's in the handmaiden's tale she's mostly an actress with sides of writing and more of an executive producer in tv but this is her first major feature film and i don't think i've ever been i just i'm so blown away by this movie like just the direction the cinematography the screenplay carrie mulligan like this is the reason why i'm making a double feature about her because she really gives it her all in this movie and she gives a lot of the subtle nuances of someone who has dealt with trauma who has dealt with a lot of just this hurt and loss and almost regret because she didn't know what to do like what 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 are you supposed to do in that situation you know there's nothing you can do other than mourn but also try to find a way to make her memory last because what the movie really establishes is that after her friend gets raped a lot of these guys ended up getting very successful and it never phased their careers and never phased their lives they ended up getting better opportunities and she never got that because it messed her up emotionally and physically and so I love the way that the movie manages to balance the thriller and the comedic elements and tells you just how serious this topic is. And it is so amazing the way she goes about making a film that shows you her revenge tactics because the beginning of the film is establishing these characters. And then once you see 
one, that's all I'll say. When you see the number one, shit is about to go down and you are along for the ride. And I will say, I thought it was so brilliant the way she cast people like Max Greenfield and Adam Brody, Christopher Mintz-Ploss, all of these actors who are known for their comedic good guy personas. And she casted them, and even Bo Burnham, how they all got casted specifically to be these nice guys and it's just, you're like, oh man, like you would never think that a guy like that would do something like that. And then you see them do it and you're like, oh, so no one, no one is safe. And that's one thing I'll say. There's a lot to say. I'm so sorry I'm going into that with it, but it's like one thing that I loved that Emerald Fennell does is that no men and women are safe from this movie because there is a scene where uh, Connie Britton plays the dean of the college that she went to where her friend got raped and she was like you know we get these kinds of accusations all the time unless there's proof there's nothing we can do and she's like I have all this research and then when she Carrie Mulligan is confronting her like but you have all this research so you should know and she's like yeah but that was a long time ago it's just so crazy the amount of proof that is there but how no one is willing to do anything to fix these things to make it better and they end up just destroying the lives of one person but then the other person gets to go off scot-free and everything is okay there's no you know it's like innocent until proven guilty it's like it's such a sensitive subject but the way the movie goes about it is so unique and different and really intelligent and oh man Bo Burnham I want to see him in more work it'd be awesome to see him in more work uh, but it's just like this movie really shows you what this whole topic of rape is in colleges and how men get away with it but women are not able to get out of it cleanly if not they just gets their lives ruined because the men just get away with it like nothing and so what Emerald Fennell does throughout the film and shows you a lot of these things it's just the, a lot of the ways that Cassie goes about getting her revenge is just phenomenal and I think this movie is already getting Oscar buzz and I hope that Carrie Mulligan gets nominated for an Oscar for this because I think she just deserves it. And the movie had its world premiere at Sundance back in January and it was supposed to have a bigger release and then COVID ruined the whole thing and it does not get what it deserves because I'm telling you, this is a movie that I absolutely recommend you try to see in a theater once the theaters open back up again. Like if they do Q and A's, the theaters will be packed, but this is a movie that you must see in a theater because I guarantee you, you will look at any guy behind you when you're sitting in the theater, they are going to be uncomfortable as fuck. And it is going to be such a wonderful feeling when you look behind, you're like, son of a bitch. So it's, it's you, you asshole. I, I knew it. It's like, there's so many ways to interpret this film, but go check out my letterbox. I talked about it a little bit there, uh, but <laughs> I, I think overall, I cannot recommend this enough. This was supposed to be the first movie that I talked about, but I had to move it to the second because wildlife was just so much. It just, it, it, it really hit me more because it was so relatable to me, but promising young woman is going to be one of those movies that will stay with you after the credits have rolled. And it's going to make you question yourself and your morals and your responsibilities and who you are as a human being. And I won't go any more than that because I had, I spoiled the ending for myself because I was so excited to watch it. I was so on the edge of my seat, on the edge of my bed, I should say, because I had to watch this at home, but yeah, Promising Young Woman. That's my double feature, Wildlife from 2018 and Promising Young Woman from 2020. Go check out the this double feature that is the masterful Carrie Mulligan and her wonderful performances. I cannot wait. And I hope to work with her one day. I want to work with her one day so badly because she is a phenomenal actress. So that's my double feature, gang. We love the carries. Yeah. With all that being said, uh, thank you so much for coming on down to Movie Land Video, everybody. We really appreciate you coming down and listening. Uh, we want to thank 
Lorena and Katie for coming down. For people that don't know, Lorena had to leave toward the very end. She was here for the majority of the time, but she had to leave for a phone call. Uh, But we still have Katie here. So Katie, thank you so much for coming on down and just giving your time to talk about movies with us and listening to us after getting to know you without last night. We really appreciate you uh, with your time. Of course. Thank you so much. This has been great. We, we really appreciate it. And uh, again, if everyone that wants to go check out At Last and her performance and Lorena's writing and directing, go check it out when it comes out at some point down the line. We don't exactly know when the release of it will come out, but when it does come out, we'll let you all know on our Movieland Twitter and we can link you to it when the time comes. Uh, Follow and- their Instagram handles. We'll post it. Exactly. Also check out their Instagram handles. I I don't know social. I'm like an old person when it comes to social media. So with that being said, thank you so much for coming on down to Movie Land Video. Everybody, as always, take care, stay safe, wear a mask and uh, celebrate because the inauguration has passed and we're living in sort of a better time right now. But who who even knows what will happen up until that time? Sort of. Sort of. Well, sort of. I mean, we still have <laughs> life like to a live. New world. <laughs> I mean, okay, don't be all Aladdin on me now. We we still have to figure <laughs> things out, but we're, we'll get there. Uh, all... We're in the right direction. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Only time will tell when it comes, but we there are in go. the right direction for sure. Uh, thank you, everybody. Goodbye. See ya. Bye-bye.